this whole question of the bread of the presence just was like background noise to me. Yeah. When I would be reading through the Bible in a year and go through the whole Yeah, what is the shoe book bread? of Leviticus and you're like, this is uh yeah, what is there's it? a whole bunch of stuff here I don't understand and I have no yeah. idea what it is. Yeah, what but, is the show uh, bread spelled S H E W? Right, the shoe exactly. Bread. Well, hello and welcome to another hashtag blessed episode of On the Journey with Amen. Matt and Ken. Uh, me being Matt, he being Ken Hensley, and uh, we've been going through all kinds of issues and questions and a little story time connected mm -hmm. to how he and I, on our own separate journeys and our own separate worlds, ended up in the Catholic Church. Ken was a Baptist pastor. I played uh, a bunch of D-list <laughs> indie rock gigs, and that'll actually play into today's conversation, believe it or not. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, or if you just want to engage us in any way, please do visit chnetwork.org. Hit the subscribe button to subscribe to our YouTube channel. And for the real good conversations, uh, head on over to the Coming Home Network community, the online community. If you go to chnetwork.org, just click connect. You can get into our little social network where Ken and I and a whole bunch of other people of a similar ilk hang out and discuss these kinds of things. Ken, you ready to talk more about the Eucharist? I, yes, I believe I'm ready. Well, good. I'm happy to. Uh, happy to. A, there's no getting out now. Yeah, I'm excited about the material today. Yeah, it is uh, a piece of the Old Testament that was, I don't want, I don't want to say it was invisible to me, uh, what we're talking mm -hmm. about today. It was in there, um, but the stuff that we're going to talk about today was part of this sort of like Old Testament sort of like yard sale of things where you go in and you you're like well i see some pomegranates and i see some castles <laughs> and i see you know golden candlesticks yeah. and stuff and there's like a special bread typology over here. typology is, is beautiful. all this stuff in the book of leviticus that you're just like oh well there's that's a lot of weird stuff they did in the old testament mm -hmm. but you know we're christians now we don't have to worry about any of that sort of <laughs> yeah although, do, not right? true, although not true yeah, we're, we're, we're going to be talking about typology a bit here today, and I want to begin with St. Augustine, something that St. Augustine once said, um, quoting him, in the Old Testament, the New is concealed. In the New Testament, the Old is revealed. Let me read that again. In the Old Testament, the New is concealed. In the New, the Old is revealed. And what St. Augustine meant was that while the truths that are brought to light and fulfilled in all their beautiful, you know, color and fullness in the New Testament, while these truths are present in the Old Testament, they're present in the form often of types and shadows and images whose meaning is revealed in the New Testament. In other words, that can only be understood fully when one is looking backward from their New Testament fulfillment. That's what I think Augustine is saying. In fact, there's a sense in which Old Testament Israel itself, a sense in which Old Testament Israel was a type itself. That is, the Old Testament Israel, the physical nation comprised of the earthly descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, was meant to point forward 
to the greater reality of a spiritual Israel, the new covenant people of God. And That's let me a fancy way of saying the church, right? Yeah, you the know, church. And, uh, and, and I didn't see it that way. I mean, I thought that the United States of America was the new Israel. We're the new God's promised people, but really, that's not that. at all. Yeah, well, I was from a particular kind of event. You mean like watching politics over the last while? You you thought that? Yeah, now I realize no. that's definitely not a okay. God. Well, we see evidence of this. That is what I just said, that the Old Testament Israel comprised of the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were in, were in a sense a type. They, um, it wasn't meant to be an end in itself. It was meant to point forward to a greater reality that's revealed in the New Testament. That is the spiritual Israel. And we see evidence of this scattered all over. I'm not going to go too deeply into this, but it's another series, in fact, that I'd like to do. But for instance, we see this in St. Peter's first letter, where Peter takes specific titles that were given to the people of Israel in the Old Testament, and he very naturally applies them to Christians, quoting, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. That's 1 Peter 2, verse 9. And you remember all those phrases from the Old Testament. We see evidence of this in the letters of St. Paul, too, where Paul refers to Christians as, quote, unquote, the Israel of God, Galatians six sixteen, where Paul refers to those who have faith in Jesus Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, as the true circumcision, again, quote, unquote, from Philippians 3, verse 3. When Paul says that the new covenant people of God, that is Christians again, the church, are the true heirs of the promises made to Abraham. In Galatians chapter 3, where Paul says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Yeah, and this is a promise then that transcends geographical boundaries. It yeah. transcends uh, all these categories that Paul is yeah. talking about. The new Israel is all of us who are baptized into Christ. Yeah, and it reminds me of a phrase from from Ezekiel where he describes the Old Testament nation of Israel as, as a storybook for the nations, okay? Type, shadow, if you will, but a storybook, um, a lesson, something pointing forward and that is fully revealed and fully understood and fully manifest in the new covenant people of God. Okay, but that's not the subject. I'm just introducing it with that. Over the past couple of weeks, you and I have been looking at how the exodus of the children of Israel also pointed forward to a greater reality. That is, the exodus initiated through the passion, and the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in, and in exploring this connection, we've looked at the Eucharist as the New Covenant Passover celebration, memorial. We've looked at the Eucharist as the New Covenant manna from heaven. And today we're going to look at the Eucharist as the New Covenant bread of the presence. And here's another connection that had never crossed my mind during my years as a Protestant. That is to think of the Lord's Supper, to think of the Eucharist as the new covenant fulfillment of the bread of the presence. And yet as we look at it today, I think you're going to see that it's quite amazing what comes out from this. And again, a as I was saying at the beginning of this, this whole question of the bread of the presence just was like background noise to me Yeah, when I would be reading through the Bible in a year and go through the whole yeah, what is this shoe book bread? of Leviticus and you're like, this is, uh, yeah, what is there's it? a whole bunch of stuff here I don't understand and I have no yeah. idea what it is. Yeah, what but, is the uh, showbread spelled S-H-E-W? Right, exactly. Bread? 
Um, yeah, just sort of like something interesting, something strange. Okay, so first let's look at the Old Testament bread of the presence and focus on that. In the book of Exodus, we read how at Mount Sinai, the Old Covenant was instituted with the people of Israel. The book of the covenant was given, sacrifices were made, the blood of the covenant was sprinkled on the altar, on the book of the covenant, and on the people as well. Um, after this, we read, Moses, Aaron, and a number of the elders of Israel went up on the mountain, back on the mountain Sinai, and they shared a sacred meal in God's presence. It's a, such an interesting little passage from the Old Testament. We read about it in Exodus chapter 24, verses 9 through 11. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. They, they saw the God of Israel. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. In other words, you know the passages that say that no one could look on God and live, you know? Well, these did. They ate and drank with God. They saw God, and yet he did not lay a hand on them. They didn't die. Can you imagine what that meal was like? Best potluck ever. I, I would have loved to be one of those 74 to have seen that. Okay, well, immediately after this, God begins to give to Moses instructions for how he is to be worshipped. And what we learn is that worship is going to center on the tabernacle, which they are to construct at Sinai. Um, now, I can't um, take the time to paint a full picture here, but I'm assuming that most of you, or all of you listening, know something of what the tabernacle basically looked like, at least the three major sections. There was the outer court, right, Matt, where there was the bronze altar for sacrifice, and, and I believe the labor where you would wa wash your hands, before the priest could go into the inner sanctum, not the most inner sanctum, but the inner sanctum called the holy place. And then from that, you would go through the curtain, or the only the high priest, right? And only once a year, into the holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was sitting. And if you've seen the first Indiana Jones, you know what the Ark of the Covenant is all about, or what it looks like, right? Or what Steven Spielberg thought yeah. it looked like, right? Okay. Big gold box. So what we're going to focus on here is, is the holy place, just outside the entrance to the Holy of Holies. If you were to walk, if you were a priest, and you were to walk from the outer court into the holy place, there would be on your left the golden lampstand, lamp stand, the menorah, which was to be kept burning continually. In the center, right before the curtain leading you into the Holy of Holies, there would be the altar of incense, which was also to be kept burning continuously. And then on your right, you would see a golden table upon which the bread of the presence was to be kept, again, perpetually. Now, there are two key passages that we need to read in order to get the picture on this bread of the presence, and I'm going to just read them and then we'll comment. The first is in Exodus 25, beginning at verse 23, where we read, And you shall make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold around it. And you shall make its plates and dishes for incense and its flagons and bowls with which to pour libations. Of pure gold you shall make them. And you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me always. The second passage that we need to read is Leviticus 24, verses 5 through 7. And you shall 
and you shall take fine flour and bake 12 cakes of it. Two tenths of an ephah shall be in each cake, and you shall set them in two rows, six in a row, upon the table of pure gold. And you shall put frankincense with each row, that it may go with the bread as a memorial portion to be offered by fire to the Lord. Every Sabbath day Aaron shall set it in order before the Lord continually on behalf of the people of Israel as a covenant forever. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, since it is for them, since it is for him a most holy portion out of the offerings by fire to the Lord, a perpetual That's a lot of baking instructions. Uh, and again, a lot of background noise for those of yeah. us who, if we did read anything about the book of Leviticus and what all the instructions were about, it was about how how to build the mm-hmm. tabernacle and what was the Day of Atonement. That's the stuff that we focused on. And the red, and the heifer, red heifer, right? And the and the scapegoat. Okay. And the goat that's in okay, Azazel but, and stuff. But let's begin to fill out the picture then. I want, I want you to notice six things about this bread of the presence in the Old Covenant. Notice first how important it was. In fact, when we read Exodus 25, that first passage that we looked at, where the instructions for the building of the tabernacle begin, the first three items that are described are, one, the Ark of the Covenant, which we, which we all know was the key thing, was the key item. Secondly, the table for the bread of the presence. And then thirdly, the golden lampstand. And it's given in that order, the Ark of the Covenant, the table for the bread of the presence, and then the golden lampstand, the menorah. In other words, the bread of the presence, we, we know immediately, was incredibly important. Okay. Secondly, notice that the Hebrew word translated presence is the same Hebrew word that could be translated face, and that is translated face. In other words, the bread of the presence was to function as a reminder of God's, well, God's presence, God's face. This was the bread of God's face, God looking at us, God being present with us, okay? Notice third, that on the golden table there was bread, but is but Exodus also mentions that there were flagons and bowls with which to pour libations. Now, that just passes by many of us when we look at it, and we just think of the 12 loaves, just the bread sitting there. But we know from other passages in the Old Testament that these libations, that is, these drink offerings, involve the use of wine. In other words, there would have been on this golden table continually bread, but also, at minimum, containers for wine, if not containers filled with wine. Bread and wine. Bread and containers for wine. The flagons and the bowls. Okay. Now notice fourth, that the bread of the presence was to serve as a memorial. Exodus 25.30, you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me always. Leviticus 24, verse 8, every Sabbath day, Aaron shall set it in order before the Lord continually on behalf of the people of Israel as a covenant forever. So it was a memorial. Now, I'm going to bring all these, we'll sum these up in a moment, but, but notice, fifthly, that the bread of the presence was a most holy sacrifice. It was a sacrifice to be offered each week by the high priest himself, and the high priest was to place the bread on the table. It's referred to as, quote, this is in the, the Leviticus passage, a most holy portion out of the offerings by fire to the Lord. 
So it was a sacrifice. And then notice sixth, that it was to be eaten by the priests in the holy place. Leviticus 25, verse 9, it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, since it is for him a most holy portion out of the offerings by fire to the Lord, a perpetual due. And so just piling these images together, Matt, the bread of the presence was one, one of the most important items in the tabernacle of the Old Testament. Secondly, it symbolized God's presence with his people, God's face. Third, it involved bread and wine. Fourth, it served as a memorial. Fifth, it was a sacrifice. And sixth, it was to be eaten. Which leads to a question that, to me, this was a new idea. I haven't known this for very many years, but it's just a beautiful idea. I'll put it in terms of a question. If the bread of the presence was a memorial sacrifice, what was it intended to memorialize? What event did it memorialize? And I think the answer is this. It was intended to remind the people of Israel perpetually of that sacred meal, that heavenly banquet, if you will, that Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel had shared on Mount Sinai when they went up there to seal the covenant that God had entered into with his people. This was the meal, again, at which they ate and drank with God, saw God, and yet survived. Again, from Exodus 24, 9 through 11, then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel, and he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God, and they ate and drank. And I think that given the fact that Moses is commanded, in fact, several times this is mentioned, commanded to construct the tabernacle and all of its furnishings, everything dealing with the tabernacle, to construct it, quote, according to the pattern, unquote, that he had been shown on the mountain. In other words, God gave him the blueprints on the mountain. I think it makes sense that, that the bread of the presence was specifically designed to function as a perpetual memorial of that meal where they had eaten at God's table, if you will, where they had seen God face to face and had lived. Again, it's it's hard for me to try and get back into my head uh, and and think about how I contextualize this, or if I contextualize contextualize mm -hmm. this at all. When I was, you know, a young evangelical Protestant, you know, reading through the Bible, making notes, not having any kind of like mm -hmm. official teaching authority to tell me what any of this stuff meant. Um, and I think part of the reason that I'm having trouble going back there and thinking about that is because we simply did not have, um, you know, sacrifice was not part of our worship. Um, you know, mm -hmm. we would bring the sacrifice mm -hmm. of praise into the house of the Lord, right? Uh, and by that we meant we would just, you know, praise God and we would sing things and we would tell him at the end when we prayed, you know, that we wanted him to be in control of our lives. There weren't these sort of concrete things. Uh, we assumed that concrete things were no longer necessary. Jesus tore the temple curtain in half when he died and, yeah. and all that. Uh, but when you look back, it's, it's striking that all these passages you sort of gloss over have very concrete uh, eating and drinking, mm -hmm. you know, things mm -hmm. going on with them. It's not simply... Um, 
getting together and talking about how holy God is and 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 burning some incense and saying some prayers. There's there's like some tangible, concrete stuff involved with all this. Yeah, and when you say that, I'm reminded though that we did bring our offerings and put them in the offering plate. Um, you know, using that word too. But you're right; it was the the offering of uh, uh, praise and thanksgiving, and then it was the financial offerings. But uh, no, you know. And, and so we look back here, though, and before moving forward, I just want to kind of reiterate that the, this is really a beautiful image. God enters into covenant with the people of Israel. Moses um, makes the sacrifice. He he sprinkles the blood, and you know, decide even sprinkling the blood on the people too. Now, I understand there were hundreds of thousands of people, so I don't think he went around and got them all, but. He sprinkles it on the people, and then this image of the leadership, the elders of Israel, the high priest, the priest, the leadership, going up on the mountain and sharing a meal with God as the way to seal the covenant, sharing this meal. Yeah, it was just com- c- c- kind of completely outside my worldview to think in that way. But let's move. Let's begin to move forward then. Let's move forward now to the time of Jesus and begin to see how this unfolds. Now, according to both the the Jerusalem Talmud and the Babylonian Talmud, at each of the three great priests of the Jews each year in Jerusalem, that is the Feast of Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles, the priests would remove the golden table from the temple, we're told, and they would allow the crowds to see it. So they would go into the holy place in the temple and they would remove this golden table, the table of the showbread, and they would bring it out of the temple so that the crowds that were just the throngs packing Jerusalem for the great feast could see it. Uh, Reading from the Babylonian Talmud, they used to lift the golden table up and exhibit the bread of the presence on, on it to those who came for the festivals, saying to them, behold God's love for you. Okay? So, the bread was a sign of God's love because it was a sign of God's covenant with them. It was a sign of God's presence with them. It was a sign of God's face, his favor on them. Now, when it comes to the old covenant Israel, we're looking at types and shadows and their fulfillment today. When it comes to the old covenant Israel, all of this came to an abrupt end in 70 AD. As you know, when the Roman armies under Titus came into Jerusalem and destroyed Jerusalem and burned the temple to the ground. As Jesus said, not one stone would be left standing upon another, and, and it wasn't. The stones were all torn down. But my point is, from that time, 70 AD, until now, there has been no golden table. There, there's been no bread of God's presence. There have been no priests on the, uh, at Passover you know, or tabernacles bringing the table out and presenting it to the people and saying, behold, God's love for you. It's gone. With respect to the old covenant Israel, what about the new covenant Israel? That's the interesting question for us to look at. If the bread of the presence is the old covenant type, if it's the old covenant shadow, the question I'm asking is, what is the new covenant fulfillment? Now, people who've seen the title of this talk already know what you're about to say, right? And people who've been following this series, yeah, but I didn't read the I didn't read the title of the talk. No, good. Well, that's. Oh, but they'll see but it. But you wrote it. Listen. You're the one who wrote this down over over here. Okay, I'll give it a I'll give it a mystery title. Then right, I'll, sounds I'll good. Call it sounds good. But some, as, some, as else. you're saying this, these uh-huh. are questions that I'm sure there are people listening and trying to figure out what in the world mm-hmm. do Catholics believe about this who have never even asked this question. I mean, these are questions that 
it, it didn't even seem to me like it mattered to think this far down the chain to figure, oh, well, these things yeah. in the temple, uh, there must be a correlation with everything that Jesus did to fulfill all the pieces. When he said he fulfilled the law, what he meant was, you don't have to do this Old Testament stuff anymore. I didn't realize how specific mm -hmm. the fulfillments were that Christ came and, and embodied and uh, instituted uh, with every step of the way, especially during Holy Week. The answer, put in simple terms, at least from my perspective, would, would have been, oh, typology is fulfilled in Christ. So, you know, the Passover is fulfilled in his death and resurrection. The manna is fulfilled in his death and resurrection. And, you know, as we saw from John 6, you know, come to me, you will never hunger. If you believe in me, you will never thirst. It's fulfilled in simply coming to Christ and believing in him. And the bread of the presence is the same thing. It's fulfilled just in Jesus. But I wouldn't have, uh, I wouldn't have looked beyond that to anything other than that. Okay, well, in the light of all this, though, that is what we've seen about the bread of the presence in the Old Testament. Listen carefully now to Luke's account of the Last Supper and the institution of the Eucharist, and then we will um, try out some points. And Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And then, you are those who have stood by me in my trials. As my Father appointed a kingdom for me, so do I appoint for you, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Okay, one of the books that I have referred to a few times in this series, and that I've been rereading, is the book by Brant Petrie, titled, Jesus and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist. Grant Petrie is a, biblical a Catholic biblical theologian. Jesus and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist. Okay, in his chapter on the bread of the presence, he asks a, an intriguing question. Let me put the question. At the Last Supper, where Jesus transformed the Old Covenant Passover into the New Covenant Passover, why didn't Jesus take the roasted lamb of the Passover, present it, and say, this is my body. Why did he use bread and wine to represent himself? Or put another way, where did Jesus get the idea, Matt, that bread and wine could be used to represent a person? Yeah, and this is the question I was sort of <laughs> alluding to, uh, I think it might have been one or two episodes ago, when we were looking at the uh, institution <clears throat> uh, narratives, the, the Last Supper narratives. Why is there no mention of a lamb? when we all know that that yeah. was the main course in these Passover yeah. meals. Yeah. yeah, so they celebrate the Passover meal. He takes bread and he takes wine and presents him. But what a question. Why did he use bread and wine to represent himself? Since he's the fulfillment of the Passover, why didn't he lift up the lamb and say, this is my body? Why did he, where did he get the idea again that bread and wine could be used to present a person, if not the Old Testament bread of the presence. In fact, I want you to notice that I, I'm not referring to you because I know you notice already, but to those listening or to those, uh, you know, to those watching, notice the beautiful parallels. I mean, the beautiful connections that are made that can be made between the bread of the presence on the one hand, and on the other hand, the Last Supper and the Eucharist, which is instituted 
as a memorial of the Last Supper. Supper. Here they are. First of all, on the golden table in the holy place, there was bread, and there were and there were also flagons and bowls for wine, for the drink offerings, libations. Well, Jesus uses bread and wine. Here's the most obvious. Jesus uses bread and wine in the Last Supper, and he commands his apostles to continue doing the same. There's one connection. Secondly, the bread of the presence was a sacrifice, as we've seen. And at the Last Supper, Jesus says, this is my body given for you in sacrifice, he means, given in sacrifice for you, offered up for you. This is my blood poured out for you, again, in in sacrifice, offered up for you. And he commands his apostles to continue doing the same. In in fact, as we're going to see next week, Matt, just a slight aside, when Jesus says to them, do this in memory of me, the Greek verb poieta, do this, the commandment, do this, this Greek verb in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, whenever this verb occurs in the context of offering sacrifices, the translation is not do this, but offer this. For instance, if you you can read passages, we'll look at them next week, where, where the commandment is to take a lamb and do it, you know, do this, and it means offer it, you know, to offer a lamb in the morning, offer a lamb in the evening, it's do one in the morning, do one in the evening. And so I think there's a strong evidence here that when Jesus says, do this in memory of me, he's basically, he's saying, here is the sacrifice that I'm offering, and I want you to offer this in memory of me, setting forth the idea that the Eucharist will also be sacrificial. But anyway, moving on. Number three, the bread of the presence was a memorial of the covenant made between God and his people. Jesus says at the Last Supper, this is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you, do this in memory of me. The Eucharist is a memorial of the new covenant. And then fourthly, again, tying this back to that wonderful image and passage in Exodus chapter 24, the bread of the presence was a memorial specifically of the meal that Moses and Aaron and the others ate in the presence of God. Well, the apostles at the Last Supper as they hear this, are at this very moment eating and drinking in the presence of the one who said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I mean, catch that, catch that image. And, and by the way, Matt, when Jesus told his apostles, this is why I included this other passage from Luke 22, when Jesus told his apostles in Luke 22, 29 and 30, that in the future they would eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel? How could the 12 listening to that, being Jews of the first century, how could they not have had their minds immediately thrown back to Exodus 24, where those who were appointed judges of the 12 tribes at the time, Moses and Aaron and the the elders, also ate and drank at God's table on Mount Sinai? The, The connection is perfect. Jesus is saying that. And when we celebrate the Eucharist, in a sense, how can we not have our minds taken back to the apostles, eating and drinking with the Son of God, eating and drinking at his table, and living to tell about it, you know, not being not being struck dead sitting there with Jesus. Yeah, not having your head explode or catch fire, or <clears throat> all the other stuff that happened to those guys at the end of 
Indiana Jones, right? And Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, yeah, but, melting. Yeah, but so there's another aspect of this, and I know we're sure. going to get into this uh, in later episodes, or, or at least I hope we do, is that this whole concept of memorial, the Jewish concept of memorial, mm-hmm. is connected to presence in a way that mm-hmm. it's not connected in sort of our modern Western minds in our common parlance. When we say memorial, we're mm-hmm. like, hey, remember when that happened a long time ago? That was great. Um, yeah. That was that was great when my Reds won the 1990 World Series wire to wire. Mm-hmm. Sure would be great if that could happen again. No, this memorial that they're celebrating with the showbread is also the bread of the presence now. Yeah. So yeah. It, that memorial is uh, to remember is sort of has like this context that is the opposite of like dismember, right? So to dismember, to take apart, to remember is to like sort of put back together and take the thing that happened mm-hmm. and put mm-hmm. it together right here. So in the sense that God is not just, this isn't just like a a little statue we made to remind us about mm-hmm. how God was like really, you know, did that awesome thing with Moses and Nadab and Abihu. This is him. He's here in yeah, the Holy of even where even in the old covenant Passover celebration that was to occur every year, yes, there was a sense of entering into the Exodus, what had happened, the original Passover, and making it present. Okay. And and so yeah, if that's the type, then how much greater will the new covenant fulfillment of that be? And yes, we're going to talk about the mass some ne- next week and we'll talk about that exact idea. But yeah, if 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 even in the old covenant type and shadow it was about re it was about entering into it and reliving it as though it were present in fact my understanding is that the father in the home at the jewish passover celebration when when the son would say father what does this mean what is it all about that he would respond in the first person he would say i was a slave in egypt even if it's a thousand years after that he he would say i was a slave and god delivered me so there it was a be sense of ludicrous for us to say well, why are you enslaving the people of Israel again in this right in this right, ceremony? Right. You're yeah. not. You're connecting yeah. to the one story. Just as yeah. you know, people accuse us of saying, "Well, why yeah. are you re-crucifying Jesus at Mass?" We're not. We're connecting to the one yeah. sacrifice, and it extends through time and across geography. It's a powerful, powerful image. Um, That's what we'll talk about next week. The Mass, too. Okay, so let's make the connections quickly again, though. The bread of the presence is a sacrifice. Jesus says, I offer my body, this is my body, this is my blood. It was a memorial. Jesus says, do this in remembering me. It was a memorial of this meal when they sat on the mountain. And in the context, Jesus says, I'm going to, you're going to sit with me and you're going to eat and drink with me in the kingdom. And I'm going to put you on 12 tribes, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. This is a perfect new covenant fulfillment being described here of the old covenant type and shadow, which is Moses and uh, Nadab and Abihu. We know what happened to them, by the way. Aaron and the 70 elders. No, it's not good. So they didn't make it to the end. Anyway, let me tie this together then. Okay. We've looked at the Eucharist as the new covenant fulfillment of the Passover celebration that the Israelites were to keep year by year. We've looked at the Eucharist as the new covenant fulfillment of the manna, the supernatural food that God gave his people for their journey to the promised land. And today we've been looking at the Eucharist as the new covenant fulfillment of the old covenant bread of the presence. And here's the thing that's important to keep in mind when looking at Old Testament types, shadows, and their fulfillment in the new covenant, New Testament. It's this, 
the New Testament fulfillment is always much greater than the Old Testament type, which is what we've just been talking about a moment, a moment ago. The fulfillment is always of another rank, a quantum leap. It, it's always greater than the type. So that if the Old Testament exodus from Egypt, for instance, slavery in Egypt, was great, then how much greater will the New Covenant exodus from sin, from slavery to sin and death be? And in the same way, if the Old Testament Passover celebration each year was great, how much greater is is it going to be the New Covenant fulfillment in the Eucharist? If the Old Testament manna was great, how much greater will its fulfillment be in the Eucharist? And if the Old Testament bread of the presence was great, how much greater should we expect its new covenant fulfillment to be? This is one reason why, Matt, the church from the beginning believed that Christ, that the Christ who was merely represented by the bread of the presence, was much more than merely represented in the Eucharist. Much more. And that when the priest came, the Catholic priest came holding up the, the golden monstrance, <laughs> think of the golden table they made, the golden monstrance, containing the consecrated host, when the priest comes and saying, essentially, behold God's love for you, well, this is why the church believed that it might be appropriate to even kneel and even worship at a moment like that. Because God's presence in the consecrated host was conceived from the beginning to be of an entirely different order than God's presence in the bread of the presence sitting on the golden table in the Old Covenant tabernacle and then the temple. The one was symbolic type shadow and the other is conceived as being real. And so I conclude with something St. Cyril of Jerusalem said about this. In the Old Testament, Also, there was the bread of the presence. But this, as it belonged to the Old Testament, has come to an end. But in the New Testament, there is bread of heaven and a cup of salvation, sanctifying soul and body. Consider, therefore, the bread and the wine not as bare elements, for they are, according to the Lord's declaration, the body and blood of Christ. For even though sense suggests this to you, that is, that it's simply bread and wine. Yet let faith establish you. Judge not the matter from the taste, but from faith be fully assured, without misgiving, that the body and blood of Christ have been vouchsafed to you. It's a powerful image. People will say, well, transubstantiation is a word that came up at the Council of Trent. Now, transubstantiation, maybe the word came up, but St. Cyril of Jerusalem is talking about what the church really believed was happening. Um, yeah, and in that, and in that passage, and in the Eastern Catholic tradition, which is fully in union with Rome too, with Western Catholic, um, they prefer to discuss this as a mystery, and and as a miracle, you know, and not attempt to use philosophical categories of Aristotle or whatever you know. Substance. Orthodox, the same, yeah, yeah, it's you the know. same same concept. And so, yeah, those are words used to attempt to describe in philosophical terms what may be happening. Um, but what's happening is a, is a mystery, just like the Trinity, you know, the formulations of the Trinity are describing a mystery that goes beyond what we can say and what we can think. 
you know, I have to invoke my, you know, early 90s, you know, through early 2000s Christian indie rock street cred and in conversations whenever it's appropriate. And we did play a festival once with the Tooth and Nail Records band called Showbread. They were sort of like a melodic post-hardcore band. Mm -hmm. um, and they, like many Christian metal and hardcore bands, I don't know how symbolic or, or intentional they meant their band name to be. I think they just looked through the Old Testament and were looking for like cool and epic sounding words. But that's the only context I ever had for understanding Showbread until were, probably I'd say were there twelve maybe like were there twelve members two thousand and three were there twelve members there, in this band there were close to twelve members did, in this did band did they perform on a stage of, of pure gold uh you know what they did no, not they did not they did not it was more like a tent of meeting <laughs> when I saw them at a festival <laughs> but still but still you know it just goes to show you how you know in yeah if you don't have the context and the framework and the magisterial interpretation and the longstanding two thousand year tradition of you know, how Christians mm -hmm. sort of understood this as passed on from Judaism. It's just another cool story from the Old Testament. And that's it. Well, so. I love studying typology, too. And I love how these things come together in the Last Supper and then in the Eucharist, which is the, which is the repetition, the, the commemoration of the Last Supper. And so we'll carry on next week, though, talking about the thing you mentioned, about what it means that something is a, a memorial. Indeed, indeed. And yeah. if any of the members of Showbread are watching this, I apologize if I misinterpreted the yeah. thinking behind your band name. And please do reach out to me, and I would love to catch. I still listen to you sometimes. At any oh. rate, if you enjoyed listening to Ken and I, uh, please do share this, uh, subscribe, uh, and you can comment in the YouTube section, comment section, but it's usually, uh, it gets kind of ugly there sometimes. So please do come over to the Coming Home Network website chnetwork.org click on connect and you can get directly into our online community of people who have come into the church from various backgrounds people who are not in the church but have questions it's a great space uh, for conversation in the meantime ken hensley good talking to you we'll talk to you again next time around okay matt see you later